This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Today's podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. They're my neighbor. Been in business since 1902. The craftsmanship, it's made here in the States got a tremendous amount of history they're not really a marketing company they're a knife making company i love buck knives they have a whole line for the backcountry check out the pack light series they have the alpha hunter the alpha pro i run all those when i'm elk hunting when i'm deer hunting so go ahead and check out buck knives if you're in the market since 1902 we're live what's up man how we doing dan good it's Thursday, I'm told. So I guess we're getting close to the weekend. That means nothing to me. But what about you? Do you got a nine to five? I do. Yep. I'm in sales. So I have, uh, it's technically a nine to five, but sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less. Yeah. Do you got flexibility in your schedule? As long as the numbers are there, life is good, right? Ain't that the truth? Yep. What do you sell, man? Uh, I've actually been in manufacturing, uh, since being in high school and, uh, I sell tooling, sell carbide tooling to CNC machine shops. That's what, you know, that's your specialty. You've been doing it for how long? Um, right out of high school started, uh, when I was 18 as a journeyman tool and die maker in Michigan and, um, worked in shops ever since and kind of went through and, uh, built prog line, transfer dies, a whole bunch of other stuff, and then owned my own machine shop for seven or eight years with a partner and um, owned uh, robotic welders and you name it. At one time had a shop of like 21 people, a um, bunch of other stuff, and then um, decided when that was done and my partner and I, when I got bought out, decided to go into sales because I love people, but selling what I know, which was tools and uh, wanted freedom um because i wanted to go hunting and i've never been fortunate enough to live in a state that has elk i've always been somewhere else so got to travel yeah deer used to be my thing for sure how'd you get from michigan to texas man um 
So the short version is um, I got an offer from a guy that I used to work with to start a machine shop in Texas. And I originally said no, uh, like right off the bat, thought, nah, it's so hot down there. I'm a Michigan. <laughs> and my all my family's from Michigan and Indiana. And uh, so I'm like, no, not, not interested. And then um, my wife and I came down here and in like April when it was beautiful and went around everywhere and I saw deer everywhere and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I think I could live down here. And uh, the rest is history. I, I haven't looked back. So we moved down here about 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. I'm like you, man. I've owned, I've been to Texas a lot, but always seems to be like April and May. And so all I know is like, Texas is amazing. I can't wait to get back. I try to go every year. How bad is it in August, man? You know, you know what it's like when you're like in the the fourth or fifth mile back to the truck with a hundred plus pounds on your back, and you're like, I just need this off. I just, I don't yeah. want to think about anything. I just got to focus. Like it's that way in the summer down here. You know, it's that like you get to a certain point and, and it all changes. Like I'm lucky. I live down in the hill country of Texas. So I think it's some of the prettiest stuff. You've been real close to my house and um, it's awesome. But if we don't get enough rain in like April, May, June to cool everything down, make sure all the springs and everything and the water systems and stuff are where they need to be. This piece of rock right here just heats right up and uh, one summer, I remember, yeah, I think we had like 45 days in a row over 100 degrees. And it's just not very much fun. So that's why I love Total Archery Challenge. You can get out of here, you know, and go somewhere else where it's nice. Yeah, dude. So how many tacks do you attend? Because I know I've seen you at at least at least one this year. Um, generally, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of six to nine, somewhere in there. I didn't even know there was that many tacks. So, okay, you go on tack tour. You got one in your backyard. You got the one in San Antonio. I've done that one. It is legit. Love that one. Although the last time I went, you had to have been there. There was a day where it was like literally 50 mile an hour winds. Yeah. And I was like, this is terrible. But um, what, like, okay, we're going to talk about tack. You've done six to nine. How the hell do you pull that off? Um, well, so it's part of it's, uh, just being involved in the industry on some level. Um, uh, not, I don't have a job in the industry or anything like that. I just have friends in the industry. Um, Sean DeGray being one of them, a great human, um, good dude. And, uh, so I went to the very first one that was down here in Texas, which was a long time ago. Um, and so I met him. He's been friends ever since. Well, since then, through affiliations and stuff, a lot of times I end up working. Um, I've worked for Sitka or Yeti at some of those and just help with uh, setting up booths, staring down booths, meeting people, having fun. You know, tech is just yeah, fun. It um, is. And so when companies, you know, um, have an opportunity for you to go and, and help and serve. And I love people. I love the archery industry. I love um, all the, especially tech, because I feel like tech is all everything that's good in the industry. Um, in the fact that we're just there to have fun. You know, if you want to keep score and talk smack, you can keep score and talk smack. If you don't care about anything and you just want to take long shots and 
you know, have fun. Great. If you want to get serious about getting ready for season and you want to put yourself in those situations, great. It's different strokes for different folks. And we love it all. We love the kids that are there. You know, mom and dad don't have to leave the kids at home. They can bring them. You know, this is this is something where you can have them involved and they don't feel like they're in the way. They don't like they love it. And so I love seeing the little kids at these events and stuff. And it's great for new people that are getting into archery just to have fun and they don't feel like they have to measure up necessarily. And yet you can get a group of guys like yourself and, uh, you know, your buddies or me and my buddies and we can talk smack till the cows come home and put a Celsius on it or a beer or whatever you want, you know, and, and have a good time. So I just love that atmosphere. So, yeah. So what's your, and this is a tough question. It's your opinion. And you stated everything beautifully, by the way, what, what's your favorite destination? What's your favorite like place to shoot? It could be the scenery. It could be the people. It could be the difficulty. What, like, where do you, like, what's the one tack you cannot miss your opinion? Variety is the spice of life. So I don't want to pick. I don't mm-hmm. want to give up deer hunting to elk hunt. But if I have to choose, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Montana. Um, Dang it. Yeah. I just love Montana. Um, it's the scenery. It's uh, the bears crossing the road right in front of you. It's the sheep down on the river before you get there. Um it's just, it's a gorgeous place to shoot. Um, and of course, I mean, as a boy growing up in the Midwest, I love Montana. Um, there's so many of them that I like though. I mean, Colorado is hard to beat because of the people that resort is the, the sunlight resort. Those people are so good to us. Like, um, they're just, they're just like, they're a different level. I got a buck chasing a doe. I just had a buck go through chasing a doe white tail by like 35 yards. <laughs> Seems like it's a little early for you. It guys. is a little early. I was like, what in the world? I saw a doe go through and I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good buck. I'm probably about a 128 point just went through dogging. But anyway. Love it. Um, yeah. So I love the people at Sunlight. You know, I just, I like being able to switch it up. Um, so, but Montana is probably my favorite. What about you? I don't know the answer to that because I've only done San Antonio. Um, I've done Salt Lake. I did bowcast at the bird before it was tack. Actually, I did. I did, Yeah, I did one with Sean DeGray before it was bowcast. It was like this. It was in some. I can't remember where that one was. Sean could tell you. And then I've done. I once I did Big Sky. I always put it on my calendar. And then Mrs. Elk Shape informed me this year that I don't get to go to all of them and make cool YouTube videos, which honestly the videos do well. And I, I'm like you, I just love the people. Like I literally am like a kid in a candy store when I'm at TAC and I get to shoot both. And I shoot multiple courses a day. Like I get out of TAC and my arms like hanging by a thread, but I think I, I can't miss big sky. Honestly, it's almost like a, an archery, like an inside archery industry little mini show like I get to see all my friends who are in the same shoes as me and does the same similar things that I do for work and it's not in an environment like um like a trade show it's like in a hey let's have a beer how you been how's your season what are you looking forward to what tags did you draw what boat like uh so yeah 
I mean, I have to pick one in 2024 and it's going to be a big sky. That's where I'm going to go. I'll see you there. Yeah. Good, man. And it's, uh, man, I had a, like my, I shot really, really well in Salt Lake, but I shot, man, I, I made a critical mistake on my bow going into the Montana one. I was trying to use Dan Evans's option site, the Canyon Pounder. Yeah. One, because I still think it's like one of the absolute best sites on the market, hands down. Two, it's Dan Evans. He's like one of my favorite people and best elk hunter I know still to this day. And I tried to adjust third axis right before, like the day before we left. And I adjusted the second axis thinking I was adjusting the third axis. And it didn't really show up for the first couple targets. And then it really reared its ugly head. And man, I remember seeing you and all the Sika guys at like, I don't remember, about halfway. Yeah. And uh, Drake's wife. Yeah. Karen. She's like, hey, Karen. Oh, yeah, Karen. She's cool as hell. She's like, I'm like, that's my arrow. And she's like, yeah, I found it. Remember that. Yeah. And I'm like, like, are you using it? And she's like, yeah, which blew my mind. And she's like, and I'm, it's working really well for me. Can I keep it? <laughs> and I was like, okay, of course. But that was such a highlight for me to run into all you guys. Um, we filmed it and it was on the video, but it was like all my friends in one group. And it was so cool to just catch up with everybody on the mountain. And I love that, man. That's priceless to me. A hundred percent. And we're not there to, you know, we're not there rolling out some new product or it's not business. It is fun. It is 100% fellowship and fun. And the other thing that I absolutely love is that when I get done, I know my bow so well. Like Amen. I've logged my hours with it and I'm like, I'm ready. And so that's been huge over the years. And that's when I've just said, okay, I'm going to make sure that worst case scenario, I go to at least three. And yeah. So it's just a lot of fun. I love it. And I love the mountains. Yeah. So we, our history was, I was doing a camp in Texas, Frederick, Fredericksburg area. And you reached out and said, Hey, do you need help? And I was like, absolutely. I need help. Thank you. Um, and you were like, yeah, so you volunteered at a camp and I would love to get your perspective of like, how'd that go for you as a volunteer? And for me personally, you know, and I'm just going to speak freely, you know, um, yeah. not everybody in the street, in the industry loves you, Dan. Uh, you know, you, you have a lot of, you're polarizing, right. On some yeah. levels. And so, um, I'm one, and I don't mean that with any disrespect at all. Um, but a lot of it comes from your intensity, right? You're very right. intense. You're very, you know, you've got a, um, you're you and I love it. And at the end of the day, um, there's some people, no matter who we are, we're all going to have critics, I guess on some levels. And so, you know, as someone who's, who's an elk hunter that I've elk hunted for almost 20 years now, and you certainly logged a lot more hours than I have, but I really didn't know you that well. You know, I'd, I'd met you a few times, shook hands and stuff, but I, uh, Abraham Lincoln um, has a, a saying or whatever, a long time ago, it said, uh, you know, I, I don't know about this guy. I need to get to know him better. And I like to get to know people and find out who they are and make decisions for myself. And at the end, I wanted to get to know you better. I wanted to go there and I wanted to see, all right, what's this all about? What's elk shape? I know he's intense. I know he, I mean, you are definitely an intense workout guy. 
your intents in hunting, um, even the way you carry yourself, the way you talk, you know, just everything. It's very intense. And, um, you know, similar to Cam Haynes, you know, different ones that you guys are in very good shape. Um, I'm not as in good a shape as you are. Um, but, uh, and because there's CrossFit, right. And so on and so forth. And, and a lot of different things, just fitness in general. So when I heard you were in my backyard, which you were like 45 minutes away, I really wanted to go see what it was all about. And right. uh, I had a lot of respect for a couple other guys that were there that also I knew them, but I didn't know them as well as I'd like to. And so when I went there, um, I was blown away. I, I sent you an email afterwards and, um, just, I was blown away. I think that you are uh, very sincere in trying to help every single person that is there to be a more effective elk hunter to, you were giving away the secret sauce. Many, many yeah. times, you know, when I say the secret sauce, like it's math, right? And we all know that 10 or 20% of, of the hunters kill 80 to 90% of the elk. I mean, it's just, that's the way that it works. And as soon as you figure out those small things, those thin threads, because you can get 80 to 90% of it right and go home empty year after year. And many people do. Um, in fact, one of the guys that was there, um, Casey Sanger, um, that was one of my buddies, he killed his first bull this year. Mm. Um, he's got the secret sauce. You know, he's figuring it out, which is awesome. This was his seventh year hunting and had never killed one. And he got a really nice bull this year. Oh. So, it was awesome, you know, just love getting the pictures and stuff. So I felt like you guys crammed a lot of information into just a few days. And if everyone that walked in the door um, had a hunger mentality and was there to learn, um, there was a lot to be picked up um, from across the board. And a lot of it, what I loved is that you surrounded yourself with a great team. Um, mm -hmm. you have a lot of good people there and, um, contrary to popular opinion, sometimes when you get a bunch of alpha males in the room, you know, it doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> it can be fantastic, especially when it's iron sharpening iron and you have a mutual respect for the guys in the room. And there was a handful of people there that have killed a lot of elk. And, um, and most of them were people that were your instructors. And uh, so I love the team that you put together. I love the way that you rolled it out. Um, and to be honest, uh, you and both you and your wife had a real uh, servant heart when we were there behind closed doors and, um, you know, with the crew. And I love that, which is different than um, sometimes the way it feels when you're on Instagram or YouTube or, you know, you're in that spot where you bring a lot of energy and so on and so forth. But truth be told, I really I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Dude, that's awesome to hear for me because especially the team part because I've like tried and I don't even know if I'm doing camps in 2024. Like I have nothing on the books that's not like me, but I um from a family perspective, I had enough, man. I'd done 25 camps in 5 years and I'd been on that many airplanes and selfishly I'm like this juice is not worth the squeeze. I love doing it. It's probably our best work because it's it gets like me in front of people, which is where I shine is like in real life coaching specifically just cause I was been a coach my whole life, uh, from a fitness perspective, but just to meet the people, it is our best work. It is like, I tell my uh, team, it's the Lord's work. 
it is like what we're called to do, but I have nothing planned for 24 yet. I'm going to try to do something. I just do it because I, I absolutely love it, man. Like I absolutely love it. And you get to get relationships. Like I would consider you a friend now. I've had time at the camp. I've seen you on the tax. I follow you on Instagram. I check your stuff out and I'm always rooting for you. And dude, you're, you're, you're doing pretty dang good. So I appreciate your kind words. That's awesome. But the team that we've built was and is incredible. Um, I think at that camp that specifically, obviously Joel stills the limelight quite a bit with his teaching the most important part. Like we can do everything to get in front of an elk, but we, if you can't execute, man, like you're, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what you ha- It just doesn't matter what tag you have or all the work you did leading up to that point. Dirk, making the vocalizations and then having even like Ironwell Bill come in and help guys with their setups and their arrow selection. And I, did we butcher a Neil guy at your camp? Yeah. I mean, that's never happened before and I've not ever had a Neil guy since, but that was incredible to watch. And I just talked to Joel Turner the other day, one hour and six minutes. I knew it was going to be like we were catching up, but Joel talks a long time. And, um, I was just telling Joel, I kind of hate him. And I'll tell you why. He steals the limelight at camps. He's the best. I think he's the best at teaching people how to control their shot. Look at his son. Um, For those that know his son is a world champion archer. Uh, He is a really good shot himself. Elk vocalizations, he's got to be the best or at least one of the best elk vocalizers you'll ever hear in real life. I always joke with the campers, he sounds better than real elk. And then he's actually pretty athletic. And though I will say he doesn't look that athletic, but in pickleball, I can't beat, I can't beat Joel in pickleball and it drives me nuts. And then lastly, I thought I was going to teach the butchering at your uh, camp that you helped us out with. And he kind of moved me out of the way and started talking. And I, I never said another word. I started taking notes. He's the best butcher I've ever met. So I hate Joel Turner. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, <laughs> you got to do it. It's all right. He's fantastic. I enjoyed just listening to him. Like you said, he's a good order. He's a good teacher. He connects well with the people. Um, what I loved so much, though, there was that it was a group of people that were passionate about teaching and everyone that was there had chose to be there, had sacrificed time, had sacrificed money and they were there. So they were hungry students. And so when you get that together, then those, those seeds of of wisdom fall on good soil. Mm. When that happens, you get results. And uh, that's awesome. You know, as someone who, who watches people and I have since, since going to that camp, I have, I've told multiple people, hey, if you can get there, get to an elk shape camp, you'll get the sauce. Like people that that have gone three, four, five years that are trying to figure it out, that have done done the DIY thing, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want, you know, to to basically get curved in the right direction, um, because a lot of times people, like I said, they're doing a lot right. Um, there's just a few things that need to be fixed, and and you guys are there to to do that. Yeah, dude, I had a pretty rough learning curve. Uh, it was pretty easy success with a rifle. And then as soon as I picked up a bow, I kind of did the, the deal where you teach yourself. And I think that was a mistake just from an archery technique and knowing anything about bows and arrows. And then I had an uncle who 
archery elk hunting. So I begged him to take me and he hunted Idaho and I lived in Washington. I was like, I'll get a tag. And he took me that first year for a couple outings and I was hooked, obviously. I mean, obviously. Um, but, but dude, I like literally could, I don't know. I would say it was four years straight of absolute tag soup and then got lucky and drew a New Mexico elk tag. And even on a pretty good elk tag, it took me like, I, I had the 14 day season. I want to say it took me all of 13 of the 14 days to kill one. It was my first bow kill, like archery elk bow kill. And then I still would go back to Idaho, North Idaho year after year. I know for a fact it was eight years in a row of not killing an elk in Idaho. I killed him in Montana twice. I killed him in New Mexico twice. I killed a few bulls, but I couldn't get one killed in my backyard. And when I finally did, a lot of that's what formed elk shape was I was like, this, this route of delayed gratification, like this was worth the wait. Um, and I've learned so much and I got so hungry and so dedicated. And that's probably how I got so intense. Yeah. To be honest with you, man, is I've been, I've, my wife knows I'm really intense and my friends do, but my mom tells me I wasn't always such an intense guy. And I'm, I think I've thought about it a lot more. And what I'm going to say is Jeff is like elk hunting made me pretty much how intense I am now is because of, I got my, my teeth kicked in for so many years. How was your learning curve? Mine was a little different. Uh, I almost feel bad because I learned, so I started bow hunting really young, eight, nine years old, uh, just little stuff, right? We were critter hunting. And then we, we started um, hunting deer when I was 12. And it took me five years to kill my first deer. And um, it was difficult. It took me six years to kill one with a bow. I killed one with a rifle or a shotgun, actually, in Montana at five. Yep. And, uh, and then I got really passionate about whitetails, right? So whitetails were, were my thing. In fact, I think, you know, Jared Lyle, um, he's now with Hunt yep. School. Yep. Yeah. So, um, Jared and I have been friends. I met him man, huh, long time ago, late nineties, probably, um, 20, 25 years ago. And like pre trophy taker. He was, he was at trophy taker okay. and, um, him and Ruthie and Dan and, and, uh, it's fantastic. Good people really good people. I love Jared. And I got a bug to start chasing big whitetails. And so I started doing the public land whitetail gig because where I lived in Michigan, like if it's brown, it's down. Like we were shooting everything, little four, six points, young eights, you know, everything was dying. And so I started going out West with one of my dad's friends actually, and started doing like Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, um, you know, everything like that. And I started knocking down booners on public land and which isn't easy to do, but I killed like a 192 and a 174 and the 160s, 150s, like, and we were going back home and it was like, what in the world, you know, these giant deer and, and, um, Jared told me, he goes, because he would ask me questions about stuff and I would just pack everything up in my little S10 back in the day you know, my five speed with a topper on it. And I would just go out and I'd be gone for two weeks and I would just run and gun and chase and scout, 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 and go, 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 go. And at the end of it, he was, he said, Jeff, Jared, he goes, you ever thought about elk hunting? I'm like, no, 
I mean, I mean, yes, but I can't, I can't do that. He goes, I think you can. He goes, you should probably start looking into that. And I said, really? And uh, he goes, yeah. So it was, it took me a couple of years or whatever, but I ended up going on my first elk hunt in 2005 and um, just applied the same principles. And I blindly, I, I put marks on maps and paper topos and yes, stuff. And I was like, I think this looks good. And one guy would go one way, one guy would go another. And I actually, um, I saw my first bull, like accidentally, I was sitting in a spot getting some water and a bull came up next to me. And I had one of those old Eberly slot stock uh, slingshot packs and I couldn't get my bow off my back quick enough. And he went up and around me and, and I uh, couldn't get a shot. And long story short, I ended up hiking back to the truck telling my buddies and like, I just found elk Kevin. Like this place is incredible. One thing led to another. We ended up divvying back in there and and I uh, killed my first bull. Trip number one. Um, awesome. Just a just a nice six point. He's mounted. He's on the wall. I mean, it was nothing. I don't even. I mean, he wasn't even three hundred. But I was so giddy. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, he's still one of my greatest, you know, trophies um, to me personally because I was just this boy from Michigan that um went out and and figured it out and so that right there it's almost like that first time that you that in high school when you date the pretty girl and you're like oh maybe maybe I'm all right maybe I can do this you know and and after I got that first bull I was like this we can do this like this is the same thing and so we just started applying that same mentality for big whitetails just to dig apart and just go and never say die. And, um, you know, a lot of the secret sauce that you talk about, we figured out over 15, 20 years. And, um, I was fortunate. I, I killed a bull on my first trip and my second trip and my third trip. And, um, I think I've been, I think I've been elk hunting. I don't even know how many years that is now, 18, I guess. And I think I've killed 17 bulls. Yeah. And that's incredible that without real true mentorship, you know what I mean? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Team. Today's podcast brought to you by PeaksEquipment.com. They have a whole bunch of cool, new, innovative products dropping in 2024. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. They have the Peaks Duo Headlamp, which is arguably the best headlamp on the market. It's rechargeable. It's micro USB-C. It has two lights, red or white. You have three settings per light and you can make sure that it won't turn on in your backpack by holding it down for a few seconds. It is the most versatile headlamp. They also make sissy sticks. I recommend the Elites with the cork handle. They also have the Storm Castle Gators. This is a great company. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Check out peaksequipment.com. Um, I will say this, like, so, so to give a little bit, um, I managed to go to a really good unit that I didn't even know was a really good unit back before Wyoming had units. And I went to a good unit and there was a lot of elk around. Um, so that was one thing that I did right. Um, when I switched it up, so year one and year two were in a, a now what's considered a trophy unit. Back then they didn't have that. Um, but when I went to Colorado, I got kicked square in the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this is what elk hunting's like. Okay. Wow. I just called in a guy from Louisiana and Georgia. Fantastic. You know, like, and that's when I really started searching out people. Um, I was fortunate enough to go hunting with Jared one year, um, shared a camp, watched him kill his biggest bull at the time, helped him pack it out deliriously through the night. Um, Dan Evans has been a great friend for years and I have just, you know, he, he's so, he's so nonchalant when you're talking to him, you know, and you're like, my gosh, but he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, my second bull that I ever killed, it was because of Jared and Dan, um, guaranteed like what they told me. I watched a bull bed with cows and my buddy was like, well, we can't get any closer. We need to go find a different bull. And I'm like, my 350 bull is right there. I don't need to. And I remember listening to what those guys had told me. And I did a big loop basically to get up and around him with thoughts that I was probably going to booger him down to my, to my buddy. I ended up getting to 17 yards and smoking him in his bed. And uh, Oh my God, that's close, that, dude. That was Dan Evans. He was like, he ended up being 344. And that was all because of stuff that Dan had talked to me about and different things and things that, if I hadn't had that kind of people to, to look to, I would have been too conservative. I would have focused on the calls. I would have, like, I never called to that bull. Once I, once I realized he wasn't going to come to where it was killable. And I'm like, okay, well, new game plan. I know where yep. he's at. Let's go kill him. And um, a lot of times, especially as whitetail guys, you don't do that. You just sit in and you're like, well, this is what I need to do. Either I need to sit here on water or I need to sit here on a wallow or whatever, or I need to call. And um, one thing I love about Dan is um, he just likes to kill big bulls, <laughs> you know, and I can't believe for as big of a mountain of a man as he is, he can get right into those people. I'm like, man, he watches bulls at 10 yards sleeping and you're like, you got to be kidding me. It's nuts. So it, it is. That is the, the truest statement I've always pondered. And I've hung out with Dan in Elk Camp in Nevada. So, like, I, I know for one, he is too humble uh, and, and too shy to really ever be that guy that's, you know, going to put himself out there, which is unfortunate because he's got so much information. But he is so patient and so calculated and so surgical. 
he was the first guy to ever introduce me to the Kawa's double spotting scopes that are binoculars and, and like a, like the nicest, most comfortable chair. And I'm like, I thought we were like, I thought we were going to go elk hunting tonight. Like I was going to go with him. He's like, we are. And we just sit down in our chairs, got to be comfortable with our drinks. And we're watching elk and studying them because Dan is calculating going to figure out their weakness. Um, and honestly, I personally killed way bigger bulls when I realized that I need to put the calls away. And I still call. I called in a bull this year and killed him. But my preference is for them to never know that I was there. Uh, I've had so many call-ins where I might have taken shots that were marginal, got lucky. But when you're calling these elk into yourself solo... It, it's, it, it is tough to get a, the kind of shot you need. I love that you know Jared and Dan, two of my favorite people on planet Earth. Um, are we going to be able to, and I think it would take both of us, to convince Dan to come to TAC for one day. And, we'll, and we won't parade him around. We'll, we'll, we'll keep him concealed because you know he doesn't like crowds. And we'll just get him and we'll just go shoot a course with him. Do you think we could do it? I, I, we came so close this year. We almost got it done um, because same, I want him there in, in Montana. It's not that far for him. And no. uh, I really believe once he tastes the lemonade, he's going to love it. Um, but I, I think we can do it 100%, 100%. And, and, you know, obviously he, he put a name for himself by winning 3D tournaments and using his rest that no one had seen before. And that's how he started the business. So it's going to be weird for him to be like, no, Dan, we're, we can compete, but like, just have fun. And you get a high five when you beat us all on the shot. Like, yeah, that's it. There's no whatever. But anyways, yeah, that's cool. Um, have you talked to Dan lately? I, I have, I've been talking okay. to him Good, have you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, we're just going to keep uh, praying for him and, and he's just a stud dude. Um, I want to talk about um, your season specifically because I haven't heard any stories yet. And um, I want to know where you went, who you went with, and, and what was your experience like in, in 2023? Um, well, I mean, this year was kind of rough. You, you know how it is. You kind of leave it all up in the air and you're, you know, you say you drew New Mexico. I, I hate you once again. Um, I think I've put in 14 years now. I've never drawn. Really? The land of enchantment. I put in for good units. I put in for bad units. I've never, I've never put in with a guide. I've always put in on my own, and yeah. I, I've never drawn. Obviously, New Mexico does not like non-residents that much. I've only drawn twice in twenty-two years, but I, uh, not ever drawn. That's you're, you're due, bro. You're due. I know, I know. So you know, you put in for all these tags, and you're trying to get points and stuff. And I didn't draw anything this year at all. Um, and so I ended up. I had a buddy uh, that I grew up with. I've known him since we were, he was like eight, I bet, eight or nine we were. And he wanted to elk hunt with me. He's asked many times. We used to white hunt, tail hunt together. And I said, you know how it is. I'll be honest. I keep my elk hunting circle very tight. Um, elk hunting is mentally more than most people can take. And I don't need your bullshit. <laughs> like I just don't need it like you go have fun you go like I I love camaraderie let's go pig hunting I love camaraderie let's go deer hunting or antelope hunting but elk hunting that's my special time like I'm not I'm only going to to spend those precious days 
with my son, with the people that I love and a close group of people. Um, not because I don't love people. I love people. I love seeing people win. I love um, watching and tipping my hat. I mean, there's a lot of people in the industry I tip my hat to and have a lot of respect for yourself included and different ones that are out there grinding. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go share a camp with all of them during elk season. Gladly outside of elk season, but September is a little bit sacred. And um, so when he asked me to do this, like, I love him. I've known him for, you know, 40 years almost and good dude. So I said, all right, here's the deal. Cause I've been burned. I said, we got to go somewhere I've never been. And, um, and then when we're done, you can't go back. It's just my goal. It's just what I do. Like, if you want to come, that's my rules. You know, my dad used to say my castle, my rules, um, you know, and at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, you know, I said, sorry, it's just kind of way, way I am. So and he said, okay, let's do it. And so we decided to go to Idaho. And um, we had an idea of where we were going to go. I'd never set foot in Idaho before. I've never elk hunted it before. And uh, kind of stayed away because of the draw system and different things. And, and it's hard to get there. Like it's 30 hour drive or something from here. And I like taking my truck. I don't like flying. Um, I like my gear. And um, so I've stayed away. But when we got online and got in line the place we wanted to go was no go and in the end we ended up going to our second or third choice and uh but we both got tags um my other buddy got a tag so there was three of us and um my buddy from um i think you might know my buddy jody from oregon or at least know who he is jody sear um yeah i've heard that name yeah jody's uh jody's good friends with cam and um he's a he's an elk killer and uh, I've hunted with him for years. And once again, it's one of those things where sometimes you get invites to go hunt and you're like, I don't know. And, and then ultimately over time, you know, I got to know Jody pretty well. And now he's one of my favorite people to out hunt with because he is, he's a bad man pajama. And that's uh, awesome. Tough dude, tough dude. So we ended up getting an Idaho tag. And then I went to Oregon and did the OTC thing for uh, Rosie's and my son Ooh. went with me. So how old's your son? He is 20 years old. Okay. And how the um, hell do you have a 20 year old? I have a 23 year old and I've got stepkids that are a couple years older than that, but I have, you're, you are older than I think that's good for you. Good job. Keep up what you're doing. I'm going to have a, my third grandchild uh, next week. Okay. Yeah. You're wow. Yeah. So keep up the good work, sir. Yeah. We have grandbabies, you know, so we love them. kids are the best. But uh, so we ended up going to Oregon and Oregon has kicked me in the teeth a couple of years in a row. Um, and uh, we went and did a bunch of hunting, did some, you know, public land hunting. And, you know, some stuff was closed because of the fires. It's been a, a weird year. So we couldn't get on some stuff access that we normally would have. We didn't. Um, it was a really dry year, really hot year. We just didn't hear them talking that much. Um, ultimately we grinded for 14, 15 days. I never drew my bow back. Um, that's rough, man. You like question everything when you're that, that's a lot of consecutive days and you're just like, do I suck all of a sudden? Like what, what's going Oh man. How, how was your mental? Um, I'm, I'm good. Um, because I've been doing this for a while, um, a little bit of backstory, 
over time, you know, you're, you're making changes because you've got kids, right? And uh, yeah. in the end, that's important. Like you need to make sure that you take care of your wife and you need to make sure that you take care of your kids. Um, those, those years will go by really fast. And um, so my kids are older, right? So now I'm, I'm past that. And I realize now and have very much, I have clarity of what elk hunting is to me. Um, to me, it's not about horns. Um, it's really, um, not even about killing a lot of times, although I do love elk meat. Um, and you'll hear that later, but, um, it, it's really, it ties into a whole bunch of different things. I found out that my little brother had cancer when I was on an elk hunt in Colorado almost 10 years ago. And, um, he fought that battle with cancer for four years and then lost it at 35. And so, um, during that time, it kind of, he's my best friend. We were two years apart. It was a struggle, like walking through all that to know, like, I don't know where your faith sits, but at the end of the day, we sing, you know, I, I personally go to church and we sing songs and, uh, you know, about different things. And we, we feel on some levels, we feel like we're going to live forever, but, you know, we also know that tomorrow isn't promised, but we live differently. Yeah. And so a lot of times grief and loss and different things like that affect people differently. And what it did for me is since my, we found out my brother had cancer, we talked to him. I talked to him every day pretty much until we lost him and we hunted together. We did all kinds of stuff together, but over the course of time, it really solidified what's important to me. And uh, obviously my family is way up there. Um, but it also helped me to know what elk hunting was to me because what I love about the overall thing of archery and hunting and different things is it's personal. Um, it's, it's never, although at times when we get started, we want to kill, um, we just want to kill something and then we want to kill everything. And then we figure out what is, you know, motivation for us. And, um, that's a journey for each one of us. that's very different. Um, and I love that. And for me, elk hunting is a way that I can put a focal point on something because I don't like to work out and I do love pizza and soda and donuts and little Debbie and what all the stuff is bad for me, right? I love all that. So elk hunting for me is a way that I can put something out there that will help motivate me because I'm not a gym junkie, but it will motivate me to keep moving and to keep active. And to make sure I don't get sedentary, that I don't stop because what, what kills us is when we stop and we need to move a body at rest tends to stay at rest. And so I'm able to motivate myself by making sure that I don't, um, that I'm not fat when the elk season comes, that I'm not sedentary. And I, I have more body fat than you do, no doubt, but I can move. I mean, I can do six to 10 miles a day, probably not as fast as you can. Um, but I'm a horse. I've, I've got trunks and uh, I can carry weight and I never give up. Um, and that's the important part, right? We, and the cool part is it's not me against you. Um, I'm on my journey. You're on your journey. And uh, whether if you want to kill two elk this year and I just want to kill one, great. No big deal. Like we're each, we don't have to be in competition with each other. And I love that. Um, so for me, Elk hunting is so many things. It's a place where I can remember my brother 
It's a place where I have clarity that I make sure I, I challenge my life to be at a point, which you touched on this during Elk Shape. Um, don't be so focused on getting a new truck that you are putting yourself in a spot that you can't even buy an elk tag. Um, and why? I have a 2008 Tundra that I love. It's my battle wagon. Um, and uh, But guess what? If anybody comes to me and says, man, I got a deal on a New Mexico elk tag. It's only this. Are you good? Yep, I'm good. I'll buy it. Amen. How many miles you got on that Tundee, by the way? So I'm pretty lucky because I have a company car that most of my miles go on my Subi. Um, so that Tundee now has 143,000 miles and oh, um, just, just broken in, just broken. I love that thing. There's so <laughs> many Texas pinstripes and Idaho pinstripes and, you know, yeah. Utah and all the different things. But, um, I love, I love the fact that we can do that. And so I've set my life up to where I take all of September off. I haven't stepped foot in Texas, um, during the month of September in two years, um, three years, I think, um, and that's the goal, but my kids are older too. So there's a lot of different things that you come in and out of seasons. And it used to be, I couldn't do that because my kids, you know, needed me very much when they were the age of your kids and young teenagers. So now all my, yeah, it's, it's really hard um, with, so my son, Tristan's seven and Avery's nine now. And the first thing I did when I got home <clears throat> this year, after being gone for, I know it was 31 days minimum with not seeing them. And I kind of, I knew Jeff going into my season, it was open-ended. I had tags. I didn't, I wasn't set out to like, where I'm going to fill every tag. I'm kind of not, that's not like you said, it was like individual and archery. And I couldn't agree more. Like I just kind of go out and take it one tag at a time. And a lot of times if it's a good tag or if I'm having good, a good time, mm-hmm. I'll stay and hunt that tag. And if it's got some good density of elk, I'll get picky. And, and that really happened this year. Like I was seeing just enough elk to stay motivated and I was being pretty damn picky this year, you know, and, and, and that's okay. And that's cool. That's my decision. And years past, I've been like first legal elk I'm shooting. I want to get meat in the freezer. And so whatever, man, it's every, everybody it's, it's individual. But I, I, the first thing I told Alicia, my wife, when I got home is like, I'm not doing it like I did this year, next year. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, I prefer to drive to all my hunts. I like my gear, just like you said. But now if I get a tag in New Mexico, I'm, I'm going to airline it. I'm going to rent a truck. I don't care. I won't ship gear. I want to be, I want to kill if I kill and I want to kill and I want to get home for a couple days and I want to see their beautiful faces. And then I want to go back out again. Um, it's tough to be gone that long and I'm not complaining. I'm, I decided to do it, but I'm realizing that, uh, I'd rather like cam, my buddy cam does it pretty well. Like he flies everywhere just about where he goes. Now he goes to some pretty cool places, oh, yeah. but he's in, he's out, he's home, he's working out, he's running, he's doing his thing and he's back on the boom. And I'm like, yeah, like I like for now when my kids are young, I kind of want to interval it stretch the season out a little bit longer, that kind of vibe. But um, when you step foot into Idaho for the first time this year, one, kudos to you and your squad for all getting the same tag. The way they have their system set up right now absolutely sucks for that, for non-residents to try to align tags. But how steep was it, man? Like you've been all over. How steep is Idaho? Man, my shins are still healing from the beating they have taken with deadfall and the steep 
baloney. It's rough, dude. I lost 16 pounds. Yeah. It is, uh, it's legit. Um, there's so much deadfall in certain areas. And at the end of the day, there was a lot of no trails, like no trails. There's no horse trail. There's no, you know, motorcycle trail. There's just no trails. And you're like, wow. You know, a lot of other States that you hunt, you can find trails and, you know, you can, it's hard to find chunks where there isn't something. And I did a lot of going off the beaten path because I, a lot of it was e-scouting, picking spots and way ahead of time here, you know, using the stuff like, you know, Livesey does and, you know, different things that, that dude's, he's smart. He's guy. genius. Yeah. Oh, that he's a genius. Killed this year was sweet too, wasn't it? What a cool club bowl. I love Very it. unique. Yeah. yeah. Not I'm sure he worked for it. He's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he's good. So we did a lot of that and man, um, it worked out obviously. Um, uh, you, but you see the highlight reel, right? You see yeah. the good stuff. Um, much like you, I, I wasn't necessarily picky. I'll be honest. Um, we shot a bull day one. Um, so we picked a spot and we shot a bull day one. And it was, uh, it was unique. It came in a lot faster than I expected. Um, it was, so it was a satellite bull and, um, there was, there was two, we got way back in and that day. Can't remember the numbers. It was over 10 miles, but I can't remember the numbers, but it was a lot and, uh, really didn't run into much of anything other than a couple people. And then we ran into wolves. Um, didn't yeah. see them, heard them, um, eerie sounding, my gosh, you know, Is that your first time hearing wolves Yeah, in, in the States. I, years ago, I went up to Manitoba and heard them. Um, okay. but, uh, this was different, you know, cause these were closer and yeah. um, really when I first heard them light off, I wasn't sure. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, those wolves. Okay. You know, uh, very interesting. Saw a fair amount of wolf scat wolf tracks um i i keep hearing about the good old days back before the wolves were there i don't i don't have anything to reference it to but yeah you know i actually saw wolves this year in an idaho unit that i hunt on purpose because there's just not i mean i'm sure there's a few but i'm like it's nothing like how north idaho's turned into where everywhere i go i'm calling in a pack of wolves or i'm seeing kills or wolf tracks and wolf scat Dude, that's what it ran me out of North Idaho. I'm like, I'm not into this. Um, and then to have them show up in a unit that I was like convinced they weren't there sucked. It just, it just sucks. Um, it mentally, because it changes the game, right? They, yeah, they definitely add a different um, element to the whole atmosphere, the ecosystem. And the elk definitely um, are, at least we found, maybe a little quieter. Um, Hell yeah. So it's very, it's very different, but we got fortunate. We got up into an area. We basically walked deadfall for the better part of a mile and a half. That's gross, man. Yeah. Like five, six feet off the ground. And you're just like, okay, there's just, and, and we got up through it. We got into this little spot and I'm like, okay, this little area here looks nasty. And sure enough, crest up over, let out a few little calls and you know, and you're like, okay, game on. And, um, so we were fortunate enough. We, we were able to, uh, basically call in a bull 
he came almost 450 yards and like that like that like we weren't ready we were not in the right spot and honestly we hid I was like nope this isn't gonna happen here I'm like nope he goes what are we doing I said nothing get down and we we that bull came in and you know how they come in and they're like he's looking for you you know like uh uh-oh nope 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 and so he ended up we waited he went back and it was just a really awesome situation because my buddy hadn't killed a bull in like five or six years and um he's like all right now what i'm like we're gonna grab a snack take a nap he's like what i said we need a factory reset that bull went right back to his bed absolutely reset i love that factory reset i'm stealing that that is so true that is absolutely the truth. So we did. We sat there for 45 minutes or so. And uh, and then we kind of got, we picked our way carefully with the wind to get it right. And then we picked where that bull came out, where he went to. And we went about halfway in between. And we found a real spot that was set up for us. That really was good. Let out a few more calls. Here he comes. 17 yards. My buddy smoked him. And uh, it was just like textbook. And I'm like, huh. Day one, here we are. You and then I look and I'm like, golly, that's How's that pack out all right away. It was terrible. That <laughs> was terrible. We decided to go back like a different way than what we came because we thought it'd be better. It never is. I discovered chaparral brush. I didn't know what that stuff was. No, thank you. It was mm-hmm. terrible. Um, I I, I had, I, I'm really thankful. I actually used uh, the Canyon Pounder this year during elk season and I beat the living piss out of that thing. And it is fantastic. But Dan always builds stuff with big screws. Yeah. Overbuilt. He doesn't skimp. I've always loved that about his stuff. And yeah, he is fascinating to me that he's not really an engineer. He's taken some engineering classes but he's an engineer in my mind, dude. 100%. He, he tuned one of my bows and I've never had a bow that like, I would be willing to drive to his house for every bow. If he could get every bow and he did it things that I'd never seen. And I'm telling you, dude, like if I want to get people excited on the internet, I just got to do some slow-mo of my arrows. And that's not me. That's Dan Evans tuning that bow to that arrow and that arrow to that bow. And it is the thing of beauty at a hundred yards. And I always get comments when I shoot that bow and they're like, Oh man, that flight is pure. I'm like Dan Evans, man. But anyways, so you guys do this giant pack out. Yeah. What's the turnaround time? Cause y'all know it's tough. Like everybody can pack an elk out, but it's tough to turn around and, and get back out there afterwards. How was it, man? So it wasn't, um, I mean, at the end of the day, fortunately it was day one, right? So I had just drove in from Oregon and I was feeling pretty frisky. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, we turned right back around, got right back in there, got a second load. We were able to carry it all out. My buddy and I were able to carry it out in two loads. And, um, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't cape it. It's, it was a satellite. We're just a real pretty, like a 260, 270 type six point. Um, and, uh, just a cool bull. And he was pumped, but we were able to get that done. And I'll be honest, uh, we didn't miss, I think we missed the morning hunt basically, but even then we hunted on our way in, of course we didn't see anything. And then we went, we actually went a different way to try and get up above them and then come back down. And it turns out there was nothing in there. My guess is we blew them out when we shot that bull. Um, Cause there was a second bull actually. 
and uh, right. didn't get that one to come in. But, well, we did. We got him to come in to 75 yards, but couldn't get him any closer. And there was no shot. But he was he was a lot nicer bull. And then uh, we decided we weren't going to go back in there, though. It was just too nasty. I've, I've still – you know how some of that deadfall has those little things that are just – you know, they're just little nubs? Yeah. I took a couple of them right to the bone on my shins. They were great. But uh, yeah. Um, then we ended up switching, going to a different spot. And what I found with Idaho, and you've hunted it obviously a lot more than me, it's it's like there's a lot of weekend warriors for sure. Holy shit there is, yeah. It's crazy. But then you've got these other people that, you know, you've got a mix of people that have taken the week off it's infiltrated with Washington people like those apple maggots. Wow. It's unbelievable. And everybody takes a different week. And so you've got a myriad of people that are rolling in and out. And I love limited entry draw units. (laughs) Yeah, dude. So like, I think my Idaho experience this year was like, I, I did a podcast on it, but I've thought about it a lot and I'm like, I went to one unit that I'd been there a year prior and I really had a good experience the year before. Like, I was like, damn, I kind of got this place to myself until I didn't. I'd say about the 15th, I was out of time. People were there ready to go and take their time off, take their week off. And I kind of thought they would be similar this year and it was not Jeffrey. I got there maybe on the 6th or 7th. I'd kind of dicked around in a different unit And I even did a little stint in Montana, but I wanted to get there and I got there on the sixth and I would say starting right out the gates from the sixth through the 14th, that's about how long I lasted. I hated every day there because I had to go so far to get away from people and I would see dudes in places you shouldn't because one, it's not a smart place to be if you're trying to kill an elk, but they didn't know that. And two, I talked to a couple of them and they're like from Louisiana, Illinois. Like, I'm not making this up. I'm not just Johnson, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what is going on here? I will fast forward. I came back to that unit the last three days of the season. Empty. Nobody there. And I killed. And so I, I'm the secret sauce for me is like, Hey guys, the second week and the third week, it's overhyped. If you're going to hunt public land, like it's. Uh, I would recommend getting there first or coming in last after they've been messed with. Yes, hunting elk that have been messed with was 10 times better than anyways that I experienced. And then the other thing you said that I just want to make sure people don't miss is like when I hunt for 30 days straight, man, like I definitely missed like probably 1.5 days and it was only due to weather. It And it wasn't like, oh, it's a little sprinkle. No, it was like take cover hunker down and get ready to be out there the second it breaks. It's going to be awesome. But when I'm bouncing from spot to spot mobile elk hunting, my theory is to, to, to log as much time as possible with my bow in the woods when the sun is up, like don't squander time. And so I noticed that you guys were able to 180 and still get hunch your way in the morning, even though you just packed a freaking bull out, out of a hell hole. I did the same thing. I, I changed units one day. I hunted till dark, drove, it was like four and a half hours. I got to this new to me unit at 11 o'clock at night and I started night bugling and I located elk. Then I went to bed for a couple hours and then I was in those elk. I like, I, um, you've heard me at my camps, but I, 
people listening, that is one of the secret sauce is time. And if you're going to go squander no available daylight legal shooting hours at camp, I don't care if you take a nap, but do it on the mountain close to elk. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Be within four or 500 yards of elk all the time, like Mm -hmm. where you think they are, right? Like don't go back to camp. You know, you're not there. I mean, obviously some people are, I'm there because I want to kill an elk um, on my terms. And so I want to be within, you know, 250 to 400 yards right in there if possible. And like this year we had a, we had a storm roll in, it snowed on us. I grabbed my pack. I grabbed my tarp. I grabbed my pyro putty. I started a fire. It was nasty. And it lasted for about an hour and a half, two and a half hours, something like that blew through. And then we were right back to hunting. We were in an elk within an hour. Yep. If we had chose to get off the mountain and go back to the gas station or go somewhere or get comfy, then we wouldn't have been in an elk an hour later. Um, but we were there by ourselves then usually because most people are, are not sticking it out. So we had the same exact thing that, that you had basically where all we were there. It was great. There was people, but we would get away from, and then all of a sudden more people, we changed locations, I think four times within our unit. And, um, at the end of the day, we found a pocket, like all that stuff happens. And, and, you know, we talk about these hunts and really you, you end up with a few good days of elk, really good days of elk hunting. The rest of it is just grinding. And we found a pocket and it was fantastic. And, um, you know, to be honest, I missed a bull. I hit a limb, um, you know, where you're at that spot where you're like, okay, I need to be here. I actually missed two bulls. Full disclosure, bro. Forty. Like, I like full disclosure. Yeah. 48 yards. So uh, full disclosure um, on my way out. And by the way, guys, I seen Jeff. He can shoot. This ain't like, obviously, like, dude, you can shoot a bow. Like I would, you know, straight up. So the rest of the story is, and I didn't tell the whole, but I'll tell it now. Um, we were almost down to where the trail was. And from the trail, it was still another three, four miles back to the truck um, that was down in the bottom. And we were about three quarters of the way down the deadfall. And we heard a bull bugle. And I called to him and he called back. And this is with a hundred and some pounds on our back, right? And all of our stuff, this is the first load out. We had gotten done with it. We, we, and so we're jamming to get down and we're getting down, getting down, getting down. He's a big old five point. We call those um, side missions in my camp. If you are packing out an elk and you have a bow and one bugles by you, it's packs off side mission. Yeah. And I, we screwed up. We made, I, we made two mistakes. I didn't take the packs off quick enough. And then I let my buddy lead and I should have grabbed him and pulled him behind me because he, we went and, and we came around, we ended up calling this bull in and this bull came up to 48 yards and, and I'm at full draw and I'm trying to go below one limb and above another limb. And I'm like, okay, my arc is right there. It's about halfway. And I go and it just, it's the limb. And I'm like, nice big five by five. And ah. I'm just like, oh, dang it. And uh, 48 yards is a good shot, you know, totally could have, should have made that shot. Probably got a little cocky because I'm used to shooting, you know, total archery challenges. I know where my arrow arc is. Like I felt yeah. good about it, but I was tired, you know, 
um, not making excuses. It was on me. It was definitely my biggest bull that I had a chance at of the trip. And uh, so we went back, got our packs and took it the rest of the way. Now, we never saw an elk in that area again. Uh, mm. We came back a couple of times and that was just hot that first day we were in there. After that, people rolled in, trucks, uh, two horses rolled in um, and three trucks rolled in. Um, it was just I'm like, oh, crap. And they just shut down. So then we moved. Same thing. Found a pocket. Got into them. It was great. It's fantastic. You know, and, and just had a great time. And then I think that night we saw nine trucks roll in. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I believe it. I've seen that, man. Like, I remember last year I, I killed this bull and I packed out the hind quarter or something. And it was, I was coming out in the dark. I know, and I parked at the trailhead in the dark, obviously, that morning. When I got to my bike, like my bike, I was like, there is nine new camps in this dead-end road. What the hell just happened? Where are they going? Yeah. I don't know. I still can't figure out. Where are they all going? Well, and and it's it's typical. Like, the thing is, you have to, it's almost like sales, you know, not that you can't put parallels, but you have to go from no to no to no to no to yes, right? Exactly. Elk hunting is really, really hard until it isn't. And, you know, being able to stay strong throughout that process is, is great in theory. It's much more difficult to actually do it um, because you're away from home, because, you know, you've beat yourself up physically and mentally and all these different things. And um, the hard times are way more plentiful than, than the, the great times, right? And and that's okay. That's why the victories are so sweet. Um, Amen. Yeah. So, you know, we we put together supper fests and, you know, in the end on this hunt, my one buddy left and went back to Wisconsin and um, my other buddy came from Oregon. We started hunting together. Um, we, we had a great time, you know, got into some elk a few times and um, ended up getting into a really nice bull that we had located the night before the day before and i actually got to full draw on a pretty pretty good bull and uh couldn't see my pins it was just too dark i had him at 40 couldn't see my pins he was screaming it was great um i had the exact same thing happen to me this year 40 yards and i ranged him and i couldn't see my pins man i feel you you can see him perfectly because exactly the timber and the white hide and I'm right at dusk, you know, and, and I come back and I'm like, ah, and this is after I've already hit two limbs. Cause I, yeah, I, I, I had another one that was 27 yards. We'd called this bull in my buddy who's behind me cow calls right at the wrong time. And I'm at full draw. That's not his job. Jeff. No, so and he knows better too. That's the thing. So the the bull comes in. I have him at twenty seven yards, and all of a sudden I hear him go, Meow, and a, and the bull stops. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And, and and of course the bull turns and looks at me, and he's like, Who's the chubby kid that likes cake? You know? And I'm like, No, 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 no. And I automatically I'm like, Oh, game's up. So I start looking. And I'm like, Yep, there's a hole. I got it. Hit the limb, goes right over his back. And I'm like, oh. So my buddy Jody comes up to me. He's like, what happened? And I'm like, why'd you cow call, bud? And he's like, uh-oh. I'm like, yeah. he's at 27 yards right behind a tree. And he's like, 
So I effed it up, but I'm like, pretty much, I love you. He goes, dang it, boy. He goes, I know better. He goes, I normally hunt with people that, that you know, they, they don't have what you got. They basically, yep. we now enough together. He goes, I know better. He goes, when they're under 60, he goes, I'll just shut up. It'll never happen again. You guys oh, just. Not, never, because he's a never. killer. He's yeah. a killer. He knew he exactly. didn't know. Yeah, 100%. And now he knows you're a gangster. It's going to be. That's cool. That's awesome. People need to hear that. Cause like you got to learn your hunting partner for 100%. sure. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't kill elk because they have either the wrong hunting partner or they don't understand each other and stuff. And honestly, Jody is one of the best elk killers I've ever met. He's incredible. I've learned awesome. so much from him and uh, I, he's one of my favorite people to chase elk with. And that's uh, awesome. Anyways, the next day, from the bull that I was at full draw at on 40 that was screaming. Uh, we marked him, came back the next morning. He was literally less than 300 yards from that spot and Jody smoked him. And yeah. so it, it was just a cool, cool experience. Had a blast. Actually, we had, um, I was a little worried because where that bull was, uh, was not too far from two different trucks. And I'm like, oh, we need to be quiet. but what I realized after the fact is where that bull was tucked into the acoustics were not oh. letting the sounds get out. So the other people, I don't even think they heard that bull. Um, I love that. He, he was calling back and forth to us, but it was on kind of this little area where you had to be right across from him or else you didn't hear it. Hmm. And uh, that happens a lot. That happens a lot. I'm so, man, you're bringing up such good, points i don't think i just don't think to talk about but you're absolutely right there are bugle sheds like there are view sheds that you can do an on x where you can drop down and see what you can see yep well there are bugle sheds when you're hunting where if you're not standing in this vicinity you're not gonna be able to echolocate you're not gonna be able to hear what you need to hear right you're bringing out some good secret sauce i love it yeah yeah, that I mean that's so true. I mean uh, that's what's killed elk a bunch in the past, and so, anyways, after that one um, was killed, you know we were two for three, and I was getting pretty um, conservative. Like I wanted to make sure that we were careful, and I ended up putting together. When I say conservative on shots, I wanted to make sure I got a slam dunk because I, I had my. I had my humble pie in full effect after hitting two limbs, and so we ended up putting together a plan to go drop one truck off one place and another truck off another and hunt through. And it was, it was about 12 miles. Um, and we ended up finding people pretty much the whole way of that 12 miles and they had their camps on their back and their, their born and raised stickers and their elk shaped stickers. And, you know, I love you, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> I deserve that yeah and i'm like oh crap you know like and one time we're sitting there doing a call and all of a sudden we hear ah uh, you're like ah he's like you guys fooled me i thought you guys were out and i'm like yeah and you're like five and a half miles deep you know and you're like nobody's back here there's no no anywhere we're by ourselves like people be crazy to pack a bull out of here it's nasty there they are Oh, dude, you're the born and raised guys. I love them all, especially Cody. I've known him forever. I got to hunt with my dad a lot this year. That's not happened in several years. And and not like with him, but just share camp. And my dad's so much the opposite of me. Like he loves talking to other hunters. He loves going down to your camp and hearing your stories. And I'm like, 
why would I go down there? I'm going to lie to them. They're going to lie to me. Let's just save time. So my dad's like going to, I'm trying to, oh, we, we, we took his horses in the back country and we, we had them bring most of our camp. And I rode a dirt bike in, which you can only ride a dirt bike in this spot to bring a camp in or haul meat. That's it. So I rode my camp in and we hunted for like five or six days and I wanted to move spots. And so I loaded up camp, got his horses loaded and, um, he's going to ride out. I'm going to ride out on my horse, which is a dirt bike. And I see these guys coming up and I'm like, quickly grab a helmet, put my helmet on. Um, not, not that everyone's going to recognize me. Cause that's certainly not the truth, but like I drove out, drove by those guys. And then I guess my dad, of course, talks to him and they recognize him from maybe some YouTube video he's been on. And I'm just like, God dang it, dad. You're not going to stop and talk to people. And I've told him not to tell people. So if those guys are listening, yes, I told my dad to lie to you because my dad definitely lied to him. He said, no, I don't know, Dan, whoever you just said. I'm like, quit talking to people because you're just people are going to assume if we're here. It that must be the good. Best. And that is not the case, friends. Right. I'm not, it's like what you said earlier in the pod. It's like a lot of no's. And most likely, if you see me, I'm at a place where I'm getting, I'm pitching the elk and they're saying, I need to talk to my wife. Let me think about it. Or no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it happens, you know, I mean, that's the beauty of public land and everything. You just, whatever. Right. But, and it's similar. I've got, I know a lot of people that are similar to you and, um, you know, born and raised. I actually don't know the born and raised guys. My, I, my buddy Jody knows Cody really well. So he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I just try and be as quiet myself and so on and so forth. Cause I know me and I want to be happy. If I come to a trailhead and you're there, I want to be happy for you. I don't want to be, <laughs> dang it. I told Dan about this trailhead when we were at elk shape camp and here he is with his dad. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, like, yep. man, I screwed myself. You know, I don't, I don't like that about me, but that's who I am. Because I, I know how hard it is to get there. So I want to be happy that you did the work. You did the scouting. You found it out. You didn't take any shortcuts. And there you are. And if that's the case and you say, hey, I got a bull back there. Dude, I'm coming to help you. I'll help you pack it out. And Amen. I don't want to be, I don't want to be bitter about it. Um, and so I have to be tight-lipped about all of it because I don't want, you know, I know myself. It took me a long time to be a someone who roots for everybody. Yeah. It wasn't always like that, man. And that's kind of a miserable place to be in, honestly. Uh, so I'm glad you said that. So you guys did the 12 miles from truck to truck. I love that technique too, by the way. Nothing but people. What'd you do then? Well, so at the end, we decided to circle back and go back to one of the spots that we were in elk in the beginning. Um, not a lot of elk, but, uh, it was a really tough spot where the elk shouldn't have been there. It just didn't make sense, but they were, and, um, it was an overlooked spot. And so we were running out of time. Um, my buddy was leaving and it was just going to be me. So I really just had one day left for him. So I told him, I said, well, so we only got two days left of season. I said, I'm ready to shoot a spike and, uh, next legal bowl. I'm, I'm taking it. It's time to go back to Texas. I miss my wife. I wish my, miss my grandkids. You know, kids are fine. Grandkids are great though, man. Just wait. I feel no. you. And uh, so that next morning we went out and uh, hunted 
really got our butts handed to us, really didn't see anything. Um, so then we decided to make a different play because of some weather that had rolled in and stuff. And we got in early to an area and it just things just kind of fell together. You know, we were expecting to call elk from a certain area and there was a lot of camps on this road. Um, and it was not a terrible hike. I mean, we were, we were back in there a ways, you know, a few miles, but it wasn't horrible. It was just kind of out of the way, if that makes sense. It does. It didn't look like elk. And, um, it was kind of funny because we got into a spot to get the acoustics right to call across this bowl where we thought they were bedded because of uh, previous seeing them up the ridge. And all of a sudden we hear all hell break loose, like above us and behind us. And Jody's like five by five. Like we were standing next to each other because we were really just trying to locate. And he's like five by five. And I'm like, Phew. Off comes the sling, on comes the arrow. Jody ditches. I come to pull. I mean, I can hear him. He's just coming like a freight train. You know, Jody ditches because I've got to swing around and basically shoot through him. And I'm, I don't even see the elk. I just he said five by five. I'm like, if it's close enough that he sees the horns, I gotta get back. So I yeah. get in position and all of a sudden I see him, you know, squeeze out, and I'm like, ooh. And you can tell he's locked on me. And I'm like, uh-oh. And then he takes just Two more steps to just make sure what we are. And he's got a limb over his shoulder and like everything. I'm like, he's 40. And I look at him again. I'm like, he's 40. Uh, and I just swung the pin up to the high, high lung and went right there. You're good. And away it went. And I smoked this little four by four. <laughs> yeah. Great. He has a unicorn that comes out the front. He's got a messed up pedicle and stuff. Man, watch that bull come around 60 yards, pile up, blood everywhere. And uh, it was just like, I felt like I won, you know, three you did. in, in a, you know, public land OTC unit and never been there before and with incredible a that had never been there. Like, it was just awesome. I was, I was ecstatic. So got lots Man. of good meat and uh, my cup was full, you know, it was just because like you said, you know, some, well, some people say that, you know, don't shoot, don't uh, pass on the first day what you'd be happy with on the last day. I think that's total bullshit. I um, hate that. I hate it too. And I like what you said earlier. Like if I'm in a unit and I'm seeing bulls and having opportunities, like my goal isn't to get in and out of the unit as fast as possible. Like my goals are complicated. <laughs> I mean, yes, you know that. If he's big enough and mature enough and freaky enough, or, you know, I love freaks. I love, I love old bulls. And ultimately if the bull is old enough, I'll shoot him in the first few days, but I don't, my goal isn't to be done, you know, no. especially since I've got buddies with me. Like we, I'm there to enjoy elk season. My goal isn't to get home and, and grab an early flight and all that stuff. That's not me. If that's you, great. I no hate here. You do you. Like I don't have a, a seven-year-old waiting for me at home. You know, I'm at a spot in my life where I'm here to hear every bull I possibly can. You know, hear every cow. You know, just everything. I want to take it all in. And like even when I shot this bull, we didn't rush. We just took our time. You know, we got got through it all. 
and and he my buddy was able to stay the next day to help me get the last load out together and then i enjoyed my trip home like going through all those memories because i did what i wanted to do and that was chase elk for a month and um it wasn't to you know and I, i've been fortunate to kill some big bulls and hopefully i'll kill another one um but especially when you hunt different areas you you change the goal well, what's around you know, do you have a lot of big bulls around? Do you, is it just rags? If it's just rags, guess what? I'll chase the rag. It's, I don't have a problem with it. It's fun. So mm. I'm so glad we got you on the pod today. This is one of the best podcasts. Seriously. This is one of the best podcasts I've, I've done just because there's so much information. People, I know, I don't say this very often, but I, I, when I know when I do say it, it's legit. You guys re-listen to this one before elk season 2024. Get this in your playlist. There's a bunch of nuggets of gold from a dude who lives in Texas who kills elk year after year with a bow. Last but not least, because I got a jam, so do you do. Um, whitetails in Texas, what's your what's your favorite week to hunt for where you live in South Texas Hill Country? When are you going to be shooting your big buck this year? So this year, I'm probably, who knows, um, that I'm going to shoot a big buck because as of right now, I only have some some bucks that I don't necessarily want to shoot. Down here, we try yeah. and shoot, you know, six-year-old bucks if we can. Um, I like to mature. I haven't got anything that's tickled my fancy yet. Of course, I'm still um, still looking. But where I live is very different than actual South Texas, which I know is hard for people to um wrap their head around but hill country deer the rut is starting like right now and usually the week of halloween and the first week of november is fire um we have wow. and it's cold fronts which is weird right because that's kind of the same as like iowa or wisconsin um even michigan and but that's totally different when you go two and a half hours south of me down into the brush country and stuff where really the rut doesn't come into swing till thanksgiving all the way till the middle of december um so who knows i may be fortunate enough to slide down there but for the most part i'll be doing most of my hunting here and then i'm doing some guiding as well in uh, december for a good friend out in west texas a little bit um but we will definitely be doing a lot of deer hunting over the next few weeks so that's good man that's good i uh i'm going to kill a texas axis at some point i've been in your town area a couple of sits and I'm just still, that is the one species of, actually, probably out of everything I've ever killed or consumed wild game, I'm, I'm going to put antelope over axis, but barely. I think axis might be the greatest meat on planet earth. Am I wrong? It really is. And I'm going to highly recommend if you get a chance to ever hunt down here on a place bigger than 10,000 acres which is hard to find a place yeah. bigger than 10,000 acres that has access that allow you to spot and stalk with a bow. Um, Cause it, there's quite a few outfitters even down here that have gotten rid of spot and stock with a bow and stuff. It's hard. Yeah. Um, Next level. Yeah. But man, if you get a chance to do it sometime during the roar, it's addicting. It's so, mm. it's, but it's awesome. gotta be a big chunk. Cause you gotta be able to do it like elk, you know, where mm -hmm. You're basically listening and getting in front of them and so on and so forth. And it's a blast. It's a great warm up for elk season. Oh, shit. Damn you. All right, guys. Jeff is on Instagram. I know his Instagram handle because I love it. The name it's at Helm 
Yeah. I'll leave a link. Is there a dot in there? Yeah. Helm dot, yeah. Yeah. I'll leave a link in the show notes, guys. Give him a follow. He's one of my favorite dudes on planet Earth. And I will see you at Total Archery Challenge 2024, Montana Big Sky. And we're kidnapping. I will kidnap Dan Evans on the way. Sound good? I'm going to hold you to that. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that awesome information, man. Guys, remember separations and the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. I'm working with a buddy who started this side hustle called Wild Meat Gear, and we have a specific link in the show notes. If you click on that specific link, you're gonna see that he's got tools to help the DIY hunter put meat on the table from their portable meat locker. And he also has the wild meat stamps to keep your meat labeled clearly. So all your packages in the freezer, you can you don't scribble on them. You just kind of can pick the species, the year, and the cut of meat. Uh, and it's a stamp, it's very slick. And so I just want to let you guys know to go over there, wildmeatgear.com slash elkshape. It'll have an automatic exclusive discount for the listeners. The guy's name's Jason. He's got another full-time job that he does. This is obviously his side hustle, but he's an engineer and a passionate hunter. The one product that he carries that I find so overlooked is how to keep your meat cool. This portable meat locker is very handy and I haven't seen anything else out there like it. And if you have a buddy that you want to split it with, you guys can keep it in your garage. Just You don't have to build a dedicated walk-in cooler and then you can age your meat and do it proper. So again, head over to the link. It'll be in the show notes. That's wildmeatgear.com slash elkshape exclusive discount and get to butchering. Today's podcast is brought to you by blackovis.com out of Salt Lake City. This is where I do all my hunting related online shopping and I use my own discount code elkshape that takes 10% off they're already great prices. If your purchase is over $100, you can count on fast and free shipping. They have a vast selection of all the goodies, best customer service in the game. Head over to blackovis.com.